Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm just going to go and get my cup of tea. Where we choose to recover out loud. I hadn't turned on my kettle when I went. Oh, gosh. By sharing our personal stories of inspiration. Thank you for your generosity. Hope. You don't need to do any of that. And triumph. Turn on the kettle. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. Hi, Taryn. Taryn, it's been so long. Hello. Yes, long time no see, mother. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. (laughs) This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. You sure do rock the top knot. I am so super duper excited today to have Don Nickel and Taryn Strong. Welcome, ladies. Hi, Lorianne. Hello, Lori. I have lots of questions to ask you. You have an amazing organization called She Recovers Foundation. It's your now a 501c3 recognized public charity. You've had so many followers. I think you're past 500,000. Pretty well. Um, we probably have between Facebook and all of our other channels, podcast followers. We say it's between 325 and 400,000. Okay. So 400,000 ladies around the world. I'm really excited to talk to you both about your recovery, and then your organization. People like to call her Mama Dawn. Some people don't like to call her Mama Dawn. And then she doesn't care. She just says, call me Dawn. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your background and your recovery pathway. It's a long story because when you've been in recovery for a long time, there's lots of loops and turns and ups and downs, right? So this, I mean, the quick story is that in 1987, I hit a bottom emotionally. I had two little girls and it was time to get my act together. I went to treatment. I got out of treatment. I smoked a lot of pot for a couple of years, but never did drink or do cocaine again. Uh, I took those two little girls and, you know, continued to raise them, ended up going back to school, falling in love with another guy in recovery who's upstairs right now. Um, You know, raised the kids, went back to school for 13 years, became a hyper-competent kind of career woman, had three different careers and hit the ground running with, um, once I finished my my education, just really started going really fast. So hit the wall with workaholism, fell back into a hole. And I kind of realized then that I had these tools called recovery tools that I had used when I was trying to recover from domestic violence, actually, and substance use disorder way back in the late 80s. And so I pulled up some of those tools and started adding to them. And um, still, I still consider myself in recovery from workaholism, which was kind of the outcome of... Um, extreme anxiety so yeah just kind of 33 years it'll be July 21st uh, it will be 33 years since I've done the cocaine or drank the drinks and everything in between has just been a journey that's a short version well that was Don Don's beautiful daughter Taryn one of two correct one of two daughters not one of two Taryns because there's only one Taryn good lord no one one Taryn <laughs> I'm Gemini there's kind of two of me <laughs> let's hear it Taryn Yeah. So, well, as you know, I was born into a family, um, some some parents who were addicted to the cocaine and the alcohol and the other things. So, you know, looking back, you might say that the first few years of my life, the first four years of my life were a little bit chaotic. There was some childhood trauma, but luckily my mom entered recovery when I was four. So from four onward, I was blessed with, you know, a step parent, a new step parent and a mom who were very, very committed to their recovery and very, very committed to their program of recovery. And my, some of my earliest memories are those 12 step meetings and um, hanging out with, with people in recovery and knowing at a really young age that people in recovery were my people and just really being in awe of the people that my parents always surrounded us with you know, the, my parents, sponsors and sponsees really were my family. And you would think that maybe because I had parents who chose that path of recovery when I was so young, that maybe I wouldn't have chose the path of addiction, but I did not. And I was, right. And I was the kid nobody would have suspected. I was an honor roll student. I loved school. I was so good at it. I was a competitive Irish dancer kicking ass at competitions. I was a pianist with the Royal Conservatory of Music. Um, So you never would have suspected, but at age 13, I did start dabbling in alcohol and marijuana, but didn't really like them. 
So I actually did start engaging in self-injurious behavior as kind of a coping mechanism. And looking back, I realized that I was really trying to cope with a lot of low self-esteem and insecurities and a lot of pressure that I had put on myself being a competitive dancer, a good student, a good pianist, all that stuff. But I always had a curiosity about the harder drugs because I knew that that's what my parents had such a story with. And I was just always intrigued and always curious. So long story short, at 16, I decided to try the cocaine, fell in love with it, very quickly became addicted to it, um, decided to run away from home at one point to be with my 17-year-old crack dealing boyfriend. And um, yeah, I just went down a very, very scary path and it all happened very quickly. And then it also eventually turned into a meth addiction. But because I had parents in recovery, I had parents who I knew loved me unconditionally and who were able to stay present and clear throughout my addiction. And their unconditional love and support, I know, is what helped guide me back home and back on track. So I was able to enter recovery at 16, 17, at 17, and we did therapy, tried 12-step programs, but never resonated with me. I was, you know, clean and sober for a few years. But then in my 20s, I tried to be a normie. I convinced myself I was a normie. I did start drinking alcohol again to cope with my mother being diagnosed with colon cancer and thinking we were going to lose her. Um, and I didn't realize that was what I was doing at the time, but it very obviously was what I was doing at the time, both my sister and I. So throughout my 20s, I would kind of come in and out of drinking and really convince myself that I was a normie. And then in my mid-20s, um, I found cocaine again and again very, very quickly became addicted, but I kept comparing myself to 16-year-old Taryn and thinking, oh, I'm not as bad, I'm not doing math, I'm not doing it every day, blah, 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 blah. Convinced myself that it was normal behavior until I you know, was able to have that moment of clarity when I realized, no, none of this is okay. And because I have, again, such an amazing family and such an amazing community of women around me, I was able to speak my truth and be in alignment and integrity ever since then. Wow, that was like, almost scripted. I promised to all these listeners that she was not reading off of a piece of paper like I did earlier. Thank you guys so much for sharing both of your stories. I know that there are many of us out there in the recovery community that learn from others and hearing that you almost idealize some people like I would, I'm just going to use you as an example, Taryn. My experience with you when I first really came across you personally in in my life was she recovers LA and I just thought this little butterfly just coming across the stage like just so soft with her Doc Martens on or what you know like just little motorcycle boots on with this dress and I thought wow it was like watching a Disney princess at Disneyland and you so quickly were able to get people like myself who at that time were just introduced to She Recovers and others who knew you well to understand that we're all going through very similar things, regardless of, like you said, I mean, for me, I've never done meth, but it doesn't shock me now to say that this little princess that I thought was on stage that was amazing and fluttering around used to be a meth addict. And it's, it's like, okay, here we are. This is a real deal. And it's just an amazing feeling to be in recovery and to be so vulnerable and so open about what we've done and not be ashamed any longer. And so I am always so grateful to both of you for giving us a voice and a platform. And so thank you for that. And thank you, Taryn, for not being the exact Disney princess that came fluttering across that LA stage as I thought. No, thank you for sharing that because that's really a big part of our mission and why we do what we do is to help reduce the shame and the stigma because so many people have these ideas of what addiction looks like. We know what addiction looks like, right? But we want to be able to show the world, women in particular, what recovery looks like, right? Like, because um, a lot of people would never, you know, you would never think, oh, wow, meth at 16 and now here she is running a recovery foundation with her mother. Who would have thought? So. Who would have thought? And that's interesting you said that about recovery. And I think that's something we're experiencing. And, and Dawn and Taryn, you 
both have so many years of recovery, but knowing that there is such a stigma in just addiction in general and mental health and other areas of recovery, but actually being in recovery, I have experienced that even that is full of shame for some people. And even that is judged by some people, even within the same community. So it's also another sort of world that you really have to try and navigate. And that's been difficult too, I think. So it's been interesting. And again, great to have the opportunity to work with groups like yours that are there to smash that stigma. I asked if she recovers not 500,000, but maybe 401,000 women, some questions that if they had the opportunity to ask you what that would be. I'm going to ask my first question. I've always wanted to know this specifically to Dawn. Taryn, her eyes just got really big. (laughs) Taryn tells her story as a mom, Dawn, how do you, or did you realize the problem that she was having in the second or third time that she had already gone into treatment and came back out and she's decided to now explore other drugs because that's what mom and dad did. Well, she never did go into treatment. It was just therapy. She never we never did have to put her into treatment. We locked her in the basement when we first, uh, with her first stint and, you know, coming off a of meth is not pretty, but we had a wonderful therapist who basically, and she was, she used to smoke at that time. I'm sorry, Taryn. Okay. And her favorite thing to do was drink chocolate milk from the time she was a little girl. It was her, one of her comfort kind of things. So our therapist just said, just put her in her room, lock her at the door and let her smoke and drink chocolate milk. And that's what we did. So we had this, you know, we basically had this raging 16 year old in the basement, throwing things and yelling and screaming and calling us names and, you know, just ordering up more chocolate milk and smoking. And then, you know, she really did turn her life around going into grade 12. So her graduating year, she started going out with a very nice young man who was not a crack dealer, which was such a bonus. And he was just a nice guy. And so, you know, she just kind of, she transformed and it was wonderful to see her and to not have to worry about her. I mean, it's, there's nothing more painful than watching your daughter go down at this path of self-destruction, one that you've been on yourself. So I was thrilled that she, um, she's just always been really smart and really able to, she's always had a vision of what she wanted. And that particular, she wanted to graduate with the same kids that she'd been going to school with since kindergarten. And that was her goal. And damn it, she was going to do that. And the only way she was going to get to graduate was if she did stay clean and, and not drinking. Because we we promised her that if she did pick up anything, she was going back to live with her father an hour and a half away, which is where we had sent her the year before. So she had a goal and she achieved it. Later on, um, it, it, you know, it gets a little bit complicated because um, I did not know that, I didn't even suspect that she was drinking and, and using cocaine again. I just, I just thought there was something wrong with her. I did not think that's what it was. Um, and then even when she did, when I did know she was drinking, I didn't, I did not pick up that she had a problem with it. So how I found out that Taryn, may I Taryn? Yeah, go for it. How I found out that Taryn had again, found herself again, it was, it was sporadic. Like it wasn't just jet. It wasn't like ongoing use. It was bingy. And how I found out that she had a problem that she wanted to address and to stop taking substances again Uh, was actually on a beautiful deck overlooking the beach at our villa where we retreat in Mexico. And um, I came out at lunchtime at one of our retreats and she was huddled at the table with all of these amazing women from our community, some that we knew and some who were new to that retreat. And Taryn was sobbing. And I was like, oh my God, what's wrong? And, uh, you know, it came out that she had disclosed to them that she was feeling like a fraud for having been experimenting again with substances at the same time that she was, we'd started this thing called She Recovers. And Taryn had never presented it as someone who was absent from drugs and alcohol, like since we'd been doing, but she definitely presented as a normie, um, you know, that she didn't have an issue with that, that she had when she was a teenager. And, and I just, I bought it too. So, so that was, that was kind of the end of it. I'd also experienced some behavior at her sister's wedding a year or so before that, where I was like, wow, that's not very normal drinking. That's a little bit like what I used to do, but thought, you know, it's her sister's wedding. It's a one-off, that type of thing. So um, yeah, it's, I remember when she was 16 and it started, my heart was broken. I did not want that for her, but I just did everything. You know, I always say I I knew the only thing I had to do was the exact opposite of what my mother had done when I was Taryn at 16. And we just threw everything at it. There was just no way there was, there's still no way 
that a kid of mine is going to go down the path of destruction with addiction. I'll move heaven and earth before that happens with any of them. That's very inspiring. Thank you, Dawn, for that. Taryn, listening to your mother talk about that, which it's fragile. It's mm -hmm. fragile. How do you feel? How were you feeling that day on the deck with looking at the beautiful ocean? As your mom said, you, you felt like you were presenting as a fraud. What, what were your emotions then? For me, it was the shame that I had been carrying was just so unbearable. And I did, you know, the reason that my mom had no idea and really nobody really had any idea was because I was so good at convincing myself that I was a normie and that it was okay. So it really wasn't, I didn't have to convince anyone else that I was okay and everything was normal because I was so good at convincing myself. But at the same time, yeah, the, the shame that I was carrying um, was just too unbearable. And I remember it was actually Jean McCarthy was the one of the women at the table. If any of you know Jean McCarthy from the Bubble Hour podcast. And she's just been a dear friend. She, she's like an aunt to me. And I just, you know, she is just so special to me. And I just felt so safe in that moment. And just, you know, I was spending the week with the most amazing, strong women. And they were being vulnerable and they were being honest. And I just thought, fuck it, I want that. <laughs> I, I see that I see the freedom that comes with being able to just be vulnerable. Yes. And I knew I just knew that Jean was a really soft landing for me to to share. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm gonna tell my aunt, quotes, my aunt, and then I can tell my mom. Let's test out the aunt first and then see how it goes with the mother. And so I remember, yeah, just just all of the women being so supportive and so grateful um, and just like, thank you. Like, cause I thought, oh my gosh, these women are, they're gonna kick me out of here. They're gonna <laughs> throw stones at me. And, and I was willing, I was willing for that to happen though. Like I was just in such a place with the shame that I thought, you know what, if I have to get kicked out of this community, that's okay, I deserve it, that's fine. That's better than me living with this, right? But of course the exact opposite happened. N none of the scenarios that I played in my mind about what a shitty, unworthy person that I was happened. None of that played out. The exact opposite played out. And then I remember after mom came out <laughs> and saw it and then, you know, was privy to the conversation, her and I went into our, our bedroom that we share when we're, when we're traveling and retreating. And, um, and my, I remember my mom just saying to me, Taryn, there's nothing that you have done that I haven't. And the shit you did is just the shit you did. It's not who you are. So that's where that actually came from. That quote that Mama Dawn's kind of famous for is from that conversation. And that was just the, the she couldn't have said better words to me. That was just the most meaningful, perfect thing she could have ever said. And then, um, yeah, it's just been, my life has just been so beautiful ever since, ever since doing what I thought was going to be the hardest thing I would ever do. Freedom. Yeah, freedom for sure. And look at her now. I mean, can you imagine? Like, she's just, she blows my socks off. Oh, she does. And I love that you experienced that because that's to truly have the feeling that the rest of the community has that you have brought to them that was co-created, however you want to say it, right? Like, you created this and uh, people are feeling that almost daily. Mm -hmm. And so for you to actually have that internal feeling too, I think it's great to be able to experience to be able to say that. I just want to say too, it's really, it's, it's definitely an, it's an example of someone like choosing recovery and taking it seriously because Tara knew she had a choice at that point, right? Because we talked about that too. I said, you, you can keep experimenting with being normal or trying to be normal or trying to contain and manage and, and control substances. You can do that. I'll still love you, but you can't do that in this too. Like you, <laughs> And, you know, she was like, no, I'm done. And I wasn't sure, you know, initially if she really was, because it was also new to me that it was even happening. But um, she's just, she's just been on this amazing healing journey. She works harder, her recovery in the last how, what, five years than, than I have. I mean, I, granted, I worked pretty hard in the first 20 years of mine. So it all catches up to you. But she works really, really hard at her recovery. And I'm really proud of her. Well, and I want to thank you, mom. I'm proud of you too. And what I want to add to that though, is I think that what I really had, what an advantage that I had was I was able to see and be surrounded by women in recovery. So I was already at this place where I knew what recovery looked like. I knew the possibility of recovery. And I was like, I want that, right? 
Whereas I think some people, like we talked about earlier, they might not choose recovery because they don't actually realize all of the gifts of it because maybe they just aren't exposed to it. They don't know people in recovery or maybe they do know people in recovery, but those people aren't open about their recovery. And so for me, it's just been, you know, I think of the women and again, they're my mom's friends who are in my life because my mom's life because of her recovery. And every single one of them, like these women who have decades of recovery under their belt, I'm like, holy shit, they are the realest, most badass, successful in all sorts of different ways, right? We all define success in different ways, but I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. That's where I want to be in 10, 20, 30 years. So I think that that really helps and makes a difference. So I think anyone watching or listening, if you don't have anybody in recovery in your life, find there's you know so easy to access community these days and I think that that's really one of the most important things that you can do for yourself to help you stay because I probably wouldn't have chosen it other any other way right so well it's like that saying you know if you're hanging out at the barbershop long enough you're going to get a haircut like you know if you're chilling with the right people you're going to go in the right direction yeah fully believe that you mentioned the retreat, which is interesting because as I understand, she recovers was, that was the beginning of it was the retreats that you would take women on or they would come to. And that expanded from there. Recently, she recovers has turned to, because of the pandemic going on in the world, virtual meetings. And we've had to put on hold, you've had to put on hold the retreats. One of the questions from one of the ladies, the She Recovers community, asked when will the she recovers island be completed <laughs> i don't know if we need an exact time frame and it sounds like you know who might have said that oh mary but i i asked the questions yeah i mean i think we need to raise a little bit more money before we can put that down payment on it but we'll keep trying all right <laughs> we do have a vision for like a she recovers foundation center right, where women can come and train in the yoga, do some coach training, just take other courses, retreat, get well, uh, you know, I, but I'd say that's probably like the five to 10 year plan. And if it's on an island, it might be on our island, Vancouver Island. <laughs> hey, an island's an island, right? It's what you put on that island that's really the interesting part. Exactly. Another subscriber, follower, friend, person in community was wondering, how do you separate your mother-daughter relationship with your business partner relationship? Ooh, good question. Right? Do you mind if I answer first, mom? Please. I think she'd be happy if you did. <laughs> I would say it was a journey or it's been a journey. We really weren't successful at it at the beginning. I think at, the, at first it was very, I don't want to say rocky. It wasn't rocky, but it was bumpy. It was a lot of, okay, when are we, when are we partners co-creating this thing? And when are we mother daughter? And, and we, I think because we're just so passionate and so in love with She Recovers, we, when we're together, all we want to do is talk about it and dream about it and vision about it and work on it because we love it and we're passionate. So we definitely, it's been a journey and a few years ago, we started seeing a therapist. So it's kind of like some people go to couples therapy. We had a woman who was our, our therapist and she, we had three sessions with her. The first session we left yelling at each other, literally yelling as we were going down the elevator. The second session, we didn't leave yelling. And the third session, half an hour, halfway through, the therapist was like, well, I don't think there's anything else to talk about. And so that those were our three sessions. But within those three sessions and since, I feel like, I think we were really able to, to refine our communication and also express that both of us both wanted to make sure that we prioritized mother-daughter time and not just being work buddies all the time. So it's just being intentional about it. And I think that we have the gift of my sister having beautiful children. And when we're with my sister and the kids, that's family time. That's non-negotiable family time. We don't talk about work stuff around them because they're just these yummy little children to snuggle and play with. Yeah, it, it's been a journey. What do you think, mom? Yeah, I think it, it is, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, we probably could do more mother, here's the thing, we could do more mother-daughter stuff. 
but she recovers is like a full-time and a half job for each of us right now. So when I would say that even though we're doing, she recovers, I think the time where most mother and daughter in the last few years have been when we've been traveling. Because mm-hmm. even though we're there to do, uh, you know, a one day workshop or a retreat or whatever, we're also hanging out, maybe being a tourist, you know, and that type of thing. So that we're in the She Recovers bubble, but we're just hanging out. We always share a room. In fact, we usually share a bed. So we actually end up spending quality time together and not, we don't necessarily talk about business when we're in the middle of the business going on around us. Makes perfect sense. And then when we're home, there were, there's so many calls and, and, you know, Zoom calls and meetings that it's about business that quite frankly, I think for both of us, we almost just kind of like pull back and away a little bit so that we can have, not because we're sick of each other or even sick as she recovers, but because you've got to carve out some time that isn't, that is for yourself, you know, that is for my husband, that is for her and her boyfriend or that type of things. This year I think is interesting because we were just kind of getting into the groove of knowing like Taryn's moving over to Salt Spring Island, which, and so, you know, I, I kind of have a vision of maybe spending a little bit of time over there with her once in a while. And we were saying tonight, she was over for dinner. She's actually filled up my downstairs. She cave bedroom with all of her stuff. <laughs> um, but I'll, you know, I'll clean it out so that when she does come over from Salt Spring, she has somewhere to stay. So we'll probably have more time together this year in just kind of that way. But yeah, it is a struggle and it, and it has been, but I think we, we do remarkable at it. It sounds like it. You know, we're very, we have the same ideas. Well, very different ideas, but we have the same vision. So, and she's brings us like it's yin and yang, right? She's like totally the opposite to me. So I think it works out pretty well. Yeah. Sounds like it. The same person asked a question and, and Taryn brought her up earlier as well. How Dawn, do you prioritize your time with your other daughters? So you're in a situation where you have two, one very much ingrained in your life business-wise, and Taryn mentioned that it brings the kids over and it's just family time. Do you find yourself struggling to find time alone with your other daughter? Probably, but in this, in the same way, like Ashley is very much, she's a mom. And so it's, you know, that is her things in terms of finding the time. It hasn't, it hasn't been easy. It's maybe a little lighter this year. And now she's got a brand new baby. So it's kind of not as easy. Um, I, I, have, I actually have to spend more time figuring that out. I just don't think with a seven week old baby that right now that she wants very much to do with me. She wants to do with you by saying, mom, please take the baby so I can go take a shower or something. Right. Yeah. And today I, I held him. We both Taryn and I did hold him for hours this afternoon and evening. Everybody was here for dinner. And I mean, I'll just do that every day. I, he, I, I was saying like, he just, he totally lowers everything for me. It's pretty amazing. His sister, on the other hand, kind of gets things jacked up because she's four and a half. So, but they're both delightful. <laughs> that's quite, that's quite the extreme. I, I think any mom would know that yeah. that's a lot. How was She Recovers created? When I hit my wall with workaholism, I started a blog called Recovering Dawn. And I did that for about four months. So that's when I kind of started this whole, like having this conversation in the interweb with women about recovery and all the different types of recovery and all the different ways we recover. And when I went back to work, I knew that I couldn't continue to blog every day. Because if you write, and you know you blog, it takes really a long time to write one blog post. And because I was going back and having to have balance between work and home, I decided I couldn't work all day and blog all night. Good decision. So I, and I didn't really know much about Facebook. I had a Facebook account, but I didn't even really use it. This was 2011. So Taryn um, taught me how to create a Facebook. Well, I tried to create a Facebook page and there is another, there is a She Recovers out there that is not She Recovers page. And I still don't know how to get rid of it. And people still try to join it all the time. It's just out there. It's a, and it's a picture of a rock. It's a picture of a rock on the beach. You can become friends with Facebook. Oh, no, sorry. You can oh, that's what it friends. was. It was a friend account that I did. I didn't know that it could be a page. So in, so in July of 2011, Taryn set me up with a Facebook page. And then over the next six or seven months, I was mostly just doing it on my own. But early in 2012, um, we, we decided that we would um, try and host a retreat at, at the end of 2012. And that's when we started kind of working together on it. And then before long, it was just one, we just kind of merged. Taryn was more focused at that time on, she had a, on being a, her yoga business. So she was Anahata Moon Yoga and I was, she recovers. And, you know, we didn't, we were going to do like, so Anahata Moon Yoga was going to do the retreat with she recovers. But by the time we got to the retreat, it was like, I think Anahata Moon was out. 
and uh, we started just kind of merging together. So I, I kind of got it started and she came along very soon afterwards. Lovely. Also, what exactly, Taryn, were you doing before she recovered, started and seeing with Dawn? What was your profession, per personal life like before she recovers? After high school, I was like, ooh, I want to work in the field of recovery. I'm going to become an addictions counselor, therapist. And I started taking a course and quickly realized that I didn't want to do that. And it would actually, what it was, was it was just kind of the Western framework, framework wasn't resonating with me. So I decided not to do that. And instead I went to makeup school and became a makeup artist. So I was a makeup artist. I, and I eventually was managing MAC Cosmetics and was one of the youngest managers in all of Canada. And, and I loved it. You know, I was helping women feel beautiful in a different way than I do with yoga. So I also then discovered yoga and realized I wanted to teach it. So I was doing kind of the makeup artistry and the yoga teaching and then was fortunate enough to just do the yoga and then she recovers. And now you are a yoga instructor for the She Recovers community as well. And is that there's a specific day that we can find you online? Yeah. So every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, I teach a free trauma-informed yoga class for women in recovery, recovering from all the things. Um, so I'd love to have you join. You can join. If you, if you don't know how to access it, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and you'll get an auto responder with the link to join. And if you've never done yoga before, it's great. It's all levels. Um, beginners are totally welcome. And a lot of women come who you don't even have to do yoga. Like you can just come and hang out. I read beautiful readings. I read poetry. I play beautiful music. And we, it's just a really good chance to just connect and maybe just breathe or have a nap or do whatever you need to do. But that's every Wednesday. Love it. Dawn, knowing that you are doing regular podcasts, daily Zoom meetings, and also in the room meetings on Sundays, you also run a foundation, appear on other podcasts, plan retreats, and have partners. What are your daily self-care must-dos to stay healthy? Well, I don't do have anything to do with the podcast, so I should just say that right here and now. They make me be on it every once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's certainly a lot of things that we are doing. Setting up the foundation is is our main focus right now, and winding down what was this business of She Recovers is is also a main focus. And I'm writing a book. Uh, my self care thing, you know, self care for me is it changes all the time, but there are certain things that I always do, um, and that is tea is my self care. I drink, you know, two or three cups of tea, and that's you know, I mean, I'm drinking it now because normally at this time of the day I'm not on a Zoom. I'm sitting down going, oh, I have my cup of tea. And, you know, once or twice during the day, I'll do the same thing. Um, I go to bed early. I like to go to bed by, well, 10 o'clock, which is early. I used to go a lot later. And I always, always read at least a few pages of a novel every night. It's just something I've always done is read a novel. My mom insisted that I read novels for my own pleasure. Um, I stretch during the day. I don't do a lot of yoga. I'm not a big yoga person but I do have a mat in the room next to me. And if I don't get out on there, I do a lot of stretching just in my chair. And even if we're watching silly TV, like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we just finished watching all three seasons and I loved it. Um, you know, I've been sitting in and just stretching in those chairs. I just, I find I'm sitting so much these days with writing that I have to do that. Um, I read, I have read readings, so I have probably, well, right now, I've got about five different books that are kind of daily meditative type books. They're not daily meditations necessarily, but I read from two or three every morning with my first cup of tea or my coffee. It depends. If I'm having a coffee, I do it with coffee. So those are kind of the things. I have a lot of hot baths. Um, I wish I could say I was walking a lot. I love walking, but I have not been getting out to our weather's been crap here on the West Coast. Uh, we walk week. So I walk every weekend now, but I have to get outdoors a little bit more. But, you know, it, it just changes all the time. I would have told you that retreats were my self-care before this year because they are just such, a, you know, and I, I just really, really, really treat myself well on retreats. Lots of napping, lots of beautiful food. But yeah, so it kind of changes, but there are just certain staples. I'd have to say tea and reading and writing are the main things that I do. 
Taryn, does it drive you bonkers when you know that your mom is not utilizing that yoga mat that's on the other side of her? Or do you just let that go? I, I let it go. I let it go a long time ago. I definitely, when I was first falling in love with yoga, I was one of those annoying jerks who just felt like I should impose my opinions about it on everybody. Um, but that was a long time ago and no, I, I totally understand and, and respect that it, it's not for everybody. I love when I was, you know, teaching locally, mom would come to my class and I would love that she would come and just have a nap. Like she would, her intention was to come to my class to have a nap, but I loved it because she's a workaholic, got rid of the workaholism. So I knew that whatever, I don't care if she's not doing yoga, she's not working for an hour. So that's great. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is great. And and you have suggested many times, Dawn, to just join Taryn for those yoga hours. And if you need to take a nap, and I am definitely going to do that soon. It's delightful. And I did pretend to like yoga for the first three years that she was teaching, by the way. And I would even do the yoga. It's true. With my only students, when I first wanted to create yoga for recovery, um, nobody would come to my class except my mother. And I didn't know she didn't like yoga. I thought she came because she liked it. But then when other people started coming, she stopped going. We all have our <laughs> secrets, don't we, honey? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I was pretending to like yoga. You were pretending to not be doing drugs. We are both left to life. It all worked out. Look at us now. That's right. Taryn was getting shit-faced while Dawn was taking a nap in her yoga class. Lovely. <laughs> okay. As leaders of She Recovers, what values are most important to you? You want to share them, though? We have five. Well, we've been re- So, yeah, I mean, I guess as individuals, I think we have different values. Than in, so you mean as individuals or as an organization? Because they're kind of the same, but not necessarily completely. I think you individually as a leader of this organization, She Recovers, what's most important to you? Yeah, so we are working on our core values right now for the new foundation. And I would say that my, my, my core values as an individual are probably pretty closely aligned to it. Um, one, that, one that may not be one of our core values for the foundation, because we haven't finalized them yet, but um, my core, I think one of my core values is passion. And, you know, it's passion for recovery. It just is you know, I, I just love recovery. I love it. I love everything about it. I love all the women in it. I even love the guys in it. I mean, I'm married to one, right? So it's just, I just love everything about it. So passion is deeply kind of something, a good deep core thing that drives me. Um, more recently, Taryn and I and our organization, we are actually really, really committed to um, ensuring that the organization, the, one of the core values of the organization is anti-oppression and anti-racism. We feel like we need to make that difference. We need to make a strong stand. And we're quite excited to, in the next month, share with our community a handful of different initiatives that we've got going, um, both to support um, Black and Indigenous women of color in our community and also to support the white women in our community to do our work so that we are better able to be a safe place for um, black indigenous and brown women to come to us. So that's pretty important to us. That's kind of like top of mind right now. We spend probably several days a week working on that initiative. Collaboration is a big one. You know, we've just, and it's uh, personally as well, like I can't do anything that I need to do without help. I, and I don't want to do it all by myself anymore. So as, as a leader and also um, as an organization, you know, we, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We just, we feel that she recovers, she recovers foundation can do a lot of things. Um, but in order to do those things, we're going to have to work with a lot of other organizations and a lot of other amazing women. So there's that, um, I think as an organization being accessible, that means financial and physically accessible, um, our offerings, which really we're so delighted to be doing the online gatherings because there's never a free anybody from anywhere over the world who has a device and a Wi-Fi connection can join and, you know, recognizing that not everybody is even privileged enough to have those two things, but more and more people are. So it's really, it's pretty accessible. I think Taryn will tell you, um, I'll leave trauma for her because I think that that's what she will talk a lot about in addition to the things. But I, I think one of the things that I learned when I was, when I, in my career and the careers that I've held, um, I was often a leader in those careers and I really love the idea and the concepts of servant leadership 
So service is one of my core values. And I learned that in a 12-step program. And although I'm not particularly involved in 12-step recovery these days, um, it's still something that I carry with me always. I just, I want to be of service. I want, you know, I got, I got, I found recovery and followed it for my two little girls. And I just want other moms and daughters and sisters and other people out there to be able to do it too. And I'll, I'll continue till my dying day um, doing service in the recovery community, no matter what it looks like. I don't, it, it might change one day. It won't be she recovers or it'll be a different form of she recovers, but um, it'll always be what I do. I might retire from she recovers. I might just be that old woman in the corner when I'm 90 and you can remember me, but you know what I mean? Well, you'll probably be that old <laughs> woman in the corner anyway. <laughs> you don't have to retire to do that. Karen, do you have anything to add to that? As a She Recovers Leader, what's important for you? Everything that Mama Dawn said, and I guess what I will add um, on, on a personal level would be integrity, you know, like just being in integrity and full alignment, congruency and all that authenticity. And then the organizational value that I want to add to what mom's already offered is being trauma responsive is so important to us, um, being able to be a welcoming space for women, regardless of what they're recovering from, to know that our space is somewhere where we're trauma-informed and we're trauma-responsive, and that everything that we do, we are doing from the lens of understanding um, the needs of trauma survivors. For women coming into this group of She Recovers and this community, you hear trauma a lot, and I've written about this a few times as well. I think when I was young and people would talk about trauma, my initial response to that is a trauma experience like the fire department's coming because there's an accident that's horrific and somebody's like trauma equals blood equals this. And you almost have to have that identified that you have gone through that almost or that somebody that you know and love has to really understand that. So when you mention trauma and how that's important, can you... Bring that down to a different level so that people that don't understand really what that means at this point in their recovery, what does that look like? What, is, what does that mean when you're trauma-informed or that we are, are working closely with women that have experienced trauma? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, we have all experienced trauma and in different ways. And a lot of women in recovery don't real and exactly because of exactly what you talked about, don't realize that they've experienced trauma because for so long there was this kind of idea that trauma only included violence and war and, and though in like you said, blood and those types of things. But trauma is all sorts of things. It can be a family illness, it can be a divorce, it can be, you know, there's there's so many different things and it's different for everyone. So what is traumatic to me, you might not experience as traumatic glory and vice versa. So as an organization, we are committed to and what makes us trauma informed and trauma responsive is always being kind of educational about that. Because we have seen throughout the years when a woman realizes, oh my gosh, that thing that I experienced, that was traumatic. And when she's allowed to kind of name it and identify that, in that moment, she's able to take her power back and she's also able to then begin the healing, a different healing journey or her healing journey just goes to a completely different level because she's able to then seek out the resources and the support needed in a different way. So many of us you know, maybe substances, for example, and Mama Dawn always talks about this, like the substances or the behaviors or the habits, those were just the coping mechanisms. That's what we did to cope with the underlying things. And sometimes the underlying things are shame, low self-esteem, unworthiness, etc. But so often it is trauma. And for me, I didn't know that it was my childhood trauma that was driving the bus in my teenage years. And then again, in my adult life, it hasn't been until this layer of my recovery, this version of my recovery, when I've actually been dealing, like recovering and healing from my childhood trauma, that I've been able to really recover and heal in a completely different way. So being trauma-informed and trauma-responsive is just, we, we, we talk a lot about trauma so that we can almost normalize it. Not ever saying that trauma is good or that, oh, we're so glad that that traumatic thing happened because look now where you are. We, we, we never, never that at all, but just to help women identify their experience. And we also, 
when you're trauma-informed or trauma-responsive, respons you have the tools to make sure that languaging is really safe and supportive because a lot, you know, when, when we have trauma that we haven't healed, there's going to be a lot of things that trigger us. We're going to be doing a lot of projecting and not realizing that we're working from our trauma wound. So you're needing to have people who have kind of expertise in this to be able to hold that container and navigate it in a, in a safe way. Great. Understood. Dawn, one of the things Taryn just mentioned, and I've experienced personally, is childhood trauma. And again, getting to a place in my own recovery where that was identified for me, <laughs> um, you know, where I realized, hey, this is what I was experiencing. This is what drove me to drink, right? That's, that's what I can say. I, I know for a fact, when my mother heard the term childhood trauma, she internalized that and became the victim that I was blaming my childhood on my drinking problem. I wonder, as someone in the long-term recovery, also as a mother and also as um, you know, being educated in background, what do you say to those women and or men even for that matter that are dads that are out there that hear the word childhood trauma where this isn't really a blame game for me, my experience was my father, my birth father beat my mother in front of us. She was, he, she was physically abused, mentally abused. He was an alcoholic. These were things that I experienced when I was very small. And I don't remember specifically, but my sister could tell me what color t-shirt my dad was wearing the night that this happened. So obviously in my subconscious, I've experienced this and I'm holding on to that trauma when I try to even have a slight conversation about this with my mother, it's mm -hmm. complete defensiveness. And you can't tell me because your childhood was bad that I was blamed for your drinking. Mm -hmm. So how, how can we help that conversation with parents that here I'm to blame for your childhood dysfunction? Well, I, I mean, I just, I guess I kind of operate from the fact that I probably am responsible in some way, you know, that um, for Taryn's trauma in particular, it, her father was violent and she was a baby. And I don't know how much of that she witnessed. I mean, that she witnessed, she witnessed, I know she witnessed it. I mean, she was once sitting on my knee when he was punching me in the head. So she witnessed it. She was a witness to it. And I don't know how that ended up cellularly for her. That's stuff that she's working out. Right. Um, and then there was another instance where her dad was badly beaten. And that was one of her key childhood wounds, correct, Taryn? And so I knew, I knew that eventually one day Taryn was going to have to address that. So I guess I come at it from a different place and somebody who might be defensive about it because I've always been very aware that the trauma was there. I owned my part in it. I saw it. I understood it. I, you know, I didn't know how or when it would come out, but I assumed it might. And then I just try to support Taryn as she's dealt and healed through it. Um, I guess if I was, I'm trying to think like if I was, if I found out that something happened or my child came to me and said, told me something happened that I didn't know what happened or that something had affected her in a way that I didn't realize it affected her. I would just, you know, I would just tell a mother, like, just listen to your child and just let, let that be her truth because it, I mean, accept that that is her truth and don't be defensive, be anything but defensive is what I would do. And, and if you have trouble with it, then go and get your own help about it. Don't make her do the work to deal. Don't let her have to deal with the trauma and your guilt. Um, it seems quite straightforward to me, you know, and a lot of, a lot of trauma is, and Taryn, you know, would go into this in more detail in her trainings, but it's, you know, adverse childhood experiences, right? The ACEs. And so that is things like even neglect, emotional neglect is, is a trauma. So when we in recovery go to our parents and say, well, I just figured out the reason that I am the way I am is because of this is what happened. Um, you know, I guess I, I, I think that there is a reckoning. I think that families should face that reckoning. Um, but if you're going in, if your family has never been a family that's been able to talk and work through things in a rational, reasonable way, don't expect that they're gonna be able to do that when you bring up your trauma. So I guess it's kind of like for the person, don't expect it. And for the, you know, the, the parent, uh, mind your own business, go get help with it. Don't, you know, don't try and add, don't try and don't deny it to say, if, if all you can do is say, I am so sorry that that happened. And I don't know what to say. That is better than that didn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I add to that too? 
as the kid of the parent. Please. So I, you know, what you were talking about, Lori, I, it wasn't until I had a therapist, um, I guess about five years ago to say to me, because I think she was a new therapist. So maybe it was six or seven years. I don't know. But, you know, first I want to get into your childhood. And I said, well, I had a great childhood. Like my mom was in the parents were in recovery, blah, blah, blah. But I guess from four below that probably wasn't great, but I don't remember it. I don't remember most of it. And she said, you might not have an actual memory, like mental memory of it, but your body remembers it and your energy remembers it and it's imprinted in your body, which I know, right? Like I know this as a yoga teacher that our, and everything that I talk about and do is that our body carries these traumas. So for you too, Lori, you know, you, you don't have these mental memories of it, but your body and your energetic field does remember it. So doing the work to release that is really important. But that same therapist, um, when we were working together, she also helped me identify that another one of my childhood traumas was when my mom went to treatment when I was two. Um, and that she was gone for a month. But two-year-old Taryn didn't know that mom was going to be back in a month. Two-year-old Taryn was like, where's my mom? How come I keep crying out for my mom and my mom's not coming back, right? So I, I had never in my life thought that that would be traumatic. But that actually created a, an abandonment wound, which you know, was informing a lot of different relational issues that I was experiencing. And I remember when we I uncovered that, it was just this huge aha moment for me. And I do remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want my mom to feel guilty. Like I don't want to guilt my mom because I don't blame my mom for this at all. My mom was going to treatment. Like I'm not gonna, how dare you? Now I have this trauma because you went to treatment. And I, but I do remember being nervous, sharing this with my mom, but knowing it was so big that I had to. And I just feel so lucky that I have a parent, my mother, who I can have these conversations with because the conversations that we have are really healing for me. And there also have been some things that we've talked about where mom has said, oh, wow, well, I don't remember it like that, but, but you know, that's your truth and that's your reality. And, and that means a lot. So as a kid to have my mother be like, pretty sure that's not how it happened, but that's, that's okay. If that's how you think it went, maybe it is. That means a lot as a kid. But I also want to say, I can't have any of these conversations with my dad. Like if, if I, I, if I was to ever bring any of this up with my father, I would get kind of the same reaction you get from your mom. Like I would get the, the blame, the guilt, the deflection, the, and it would just be re-traumatizing. So I just don't even bother. I don't even go there. And I just feel so grateful that I at least have one parent who I can do this healing intergenerational trauma healing work with. That is amazing. It is nice to have that. And that's also what's great about the group. And we, I keep going back to She Recovers, of course, because it's nice to have others that have gone through that. And even just now having that conversation, I'm getting teary-eyed because when I went to treatment, my daughter was two. And so it just hit me that that was one of the forces that was making me want to stay and not get the help I needed really mentally. I mean, and, and you, you talked about this earlier and this is so true for my situation is, you know, for me, it seems like the catalyst of my drinking was the reason I needed to go get help. But of course, as I actually did get professional help and was there for a few days, we realized, whoa, this is what your problem is. <laughs> These are the things you need to work on. And there were a lot of underlying issues I was trying to run from by drinking lots of wine every night. And uh, yeah, so having someone there to support and maybe, you know, not everybody has a, 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 a parent, but to be able to lean on someone to talk about that. And even if it's a distant family member, I have a great cousin that um, does definitely have I, addiction, I believe is a disease. And, and I think that it fully lives inside of our entire family and she doesn't drink. She's like, I don't even want to go near it. I'm not even interested in finding out what's happening. So she's, it's cool to have her on the side. I just want to add, because I wouldn't want anybody listening who may need treatment to say, well, I, now I can't go to treatment because my, my child's going to have, you know, in 1987, um, we weren't really paying to attend. First of all, I had a very unhealthy husband, so he wasn't necessarily doing what he could have done to assure Taryn of what was going on. I mean, he, there, he had an opportunity to come to the treatment center and bring the kids for family day. And he chose not to. So she could have seen me even like at a period of time when we were there. Mm -hmm. um, and so there probably wasn't, you know, today, I mean, there would be much more kind of management around the kids and them understanding where mom was, where Taryn probably, I literally, you know, got on the ferry and went to treatment 
Yeah. And I should add that I was left with like the drug addicted father. So yeah, I wasn't not blaming you for that either. But it was, <laughs> no, 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 I know. I know. I'm just, I was just listening through the hearing. Oh, I can just hear, you know, cause that's women. I can't, they always say yes. I can't go to treatment because of my kids. Yeah, you can. Yes. And look can. what we got going on here now. Right. So do it. If you need to go to treatment, go just make some sure somebody tells your kids where you are, what they're doing talk to them. You have, we didn't have FaceTime. I was going to say it was very recent for me. And while even the rules of the treatment center that I was in was not to have, they make exceptions for parents. And when you are paying to get help, you would be amazed what you can get when you ask for it. So exactly whatever you have to do to make yourself better, go and do it. Someone will help with your children and they will not feel abandoned. They will feel great. Their mom is taking care of themselves. Thank you. Right. 100%. 100%. Last question. My favorite one. I'm asking each one of you. Taryn, you have to answer first. Who is your dream dinner party guest and why? Oh my gosh. Dead or alive? Dead or alive. Dream dinner guest and why? This is so hard. It's just juicy though. Like, who does Taryn want to sit across from her? Who does she want? Who is it? You know, I have two, can I say two? One is a male, one is a female. Let's do that. Okay, so the female, I don't know who's just jumping out at me right now, but Judy Garland. I would love to just, I think she, I don't know. She reminds me of my mom's mom. Not because she's like her, but I don't know. I just have this love for Judy Garland. And I think Judy Garland, I would like to hang with. And then Jim Morrison. Oh. Morrison. Oh, that would be a party now, wouldn't it? So an addict and an alcoholic who are no longer with us. <laughs> what about you, mom? Gee whiz. I, you know, gosh, that's a really good question. I've never even thought about it. Um, dead. I would pick dead and I would probably pick Betty Ford uh-huh. because I've just always had a thing for Betty Ford. Yes. Yeah. I just think she was so amazing in the work that she did to, you know, she's one of the first women to talk publicly about having an addiction and to take, you know, to really specifically to do that, to, to, to take stigma away. And she did the same thing for breast cancer. And I think because she recovers is so much about destigmatizing recovery that um, I would just love to have a, have a chat with someone like her. Mm. I would love to be at both of those dinner parties. So even if it happens like in your dreams, just remember to invite me. Shall do. Taryn, Dawn, I can't even like begin to contain my excitement right now that you spent the last hour with me. I feel so honored. And um, like my mom and sister, I can't wait till we actually like can squeeze each other. My gosh. If you want to find out any more information about She Recovers, head on over to sherecovers.org. You will find out all the information you need to know about the foundation, how to donate, Taryn's yoga classes, daily Zoom calls. What am I missing? Eventually, we'll have retreats again and events soon. There'll be, yeah, local 2021 in-person things. Is 2021 in-person things happening? Oh, gosh, yes. Okay. I'll wear a mask. I'll wear a mask. I'm coming to Canada. We'll be good. We'll be good by then. Look out. And Dawn's writing a book. I am. I am. Hallelujah. Can't wait for that to come out. And Lori, we just want to thank you for your passion for She Recovers and for always volunteering to host our gatherings and being the hostess with the mostest and for just being such an incredible cheerleader. And um, we just can't wait to continue to co-create with you. Yeah, we were talking about you just on Wednesday. I'm all in, you know, and this is the thing for me is uh, when I first came out of treatment, and I think this is this goes for other women, I can speak for other women because I've heard them say this you sort of want to find what is my passion now? What is my, who am I? What am I doing? You know, there's the same exact freaking questions every one of us come out with. And I found She Recovers because I wanted to create She Recovers. Like I was like, we need this thing right now. Cause I was so pissed off about going to 12 step meetings, which was my very, that was my basis. That's where I started. And I'm totally down with that. But I was mad. I was like, I would go into these meetings after treatment and I'm like, you work for my husband. Like, why didn't I know you were a drunk? And I'm like, this lady and I used to party together. Why the hell didn't I know you were going through this? And I was like, we need to talk to each other. 
Like we need to have a network. We need to have a thing. And I started doing some research because I was going to make that happen. And guess what? She recovers existed. And I'm like, hi, I'm Lori. And I'm going to just beg you for two straight years to participate in your organization until you say yes. And you did. And you did. We're finding a place where that makes sense. And we're so, so honored to have you in our community. I am so happy. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Like you say, co-creation. And I think that you guys are on the money with everyone that you've pulled in to help with and uh, you're changing lives every day. And I'm so happy to be part of it. And I'm so happy that you guys came onto the podcast. Thank you. The recovery hour with Lori Windfeld, Don Nickel, Taryn Strong, she recovers.org. Find it now or you're missing out. Thanks so much. Bye. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.